build on getting the Hebrewic foundation of the church and the kingdom of God. And that's a lot of what we do at our uh, Israel small group here at Stratford Heights. It's at 6.30 every Thursday night. We're going through with uh, Mike Devaney as our facilitator, and he's teaching us and walking us through the Jewish roots of our Christianity. So this is very, very important and almost mandatory type stuff to understand where our faith comes from. So without further ado, I'll bring to you our central regional coordinator of CUFI, Reverend Lyndon Allen. Friends, thank you so much for your time this morning. If you've ever wondered what it feels like to be in the right place at the right time, wonder no more. Wonder no more. Here's why. Israel is God's redemption plan for planet Earth. Without Israel, we have no salvation. Why? Because God stepped into the bloodline through Abram. And he had to do that for one reason. Because his point man, Adam, fell. There were two bites in Eden. But only one of those bites was the death bite. Two. And guess which bite it was that brought death into humanity. If you say Eve, shh, that would be incorrect. The death bite was brought to humanity by Adam. So wives, now you can tell your husband, see, I told you it's your fault. Just tell him, just let him know. It's on us. You see, Israel is one of three high kingdom business areas. We sung about the king today, and your praise and worship team, I mean, wow. Let's give it up to the Lord again for that. That was just great. We sing hallelujah. And I'm like, I'm standing in the hallway back there in the foyer, and I hear this other voice. I'm like, man, whoever that is, that's, that's pretty good. And it's Ray Phillips. I'm like, hey, man, you got some pipes, brother. <laughs> now, don't tell me no, it's true. <laughs> Let's give your pastor a, an appreciation. Pastor Ray Phillips. This month is Pastor Appreciation Month, and sir, I appreciate you for opening the doors of this house to things germane to Israel. It's vitally important. Three high kingdom business areas, the first of which, and, and they are in this order. I'm not dogmatic about a lot of things, but I am about this. They are in this order. Number one, high kingdom business area number one. The sanctity of human life, which is why I appreciate your representative from this district. As she champions ridding this land of the shedding of innocent blood. That's excellent. So hiking to business area number one, the shedding of innocent blood. God hates it. So sanctity of life. Number two is natural traditional marriage. Man married to woman. That's number two. And then number three, because of Adam's death bite, Israel. Israel. 
So one and two happen in rapid succession. The third one would take 1,948 years since the birth of Adam or the creation of Adam. You count 1,948 years, you get to the birth of Abram. Now Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. He's referred to as the one who takes sin out of the world. The first one brought sin into the world, the last Adam. He's not the second, he's the last. If you said the second, that would imply a third. But there is no one like Jesus. Not a one. The last Adam. And lo and behold, when you count 1,948 years since the birth of the last Adam, you get the birth of Israel. Two Adams, 1948 associated with them. Is God up to something? Yes. Yes. Should you be a part of it? Yes, yes. Be a part of standing with Israel. So, Brother Dean, whatever camera you're standing behind, I don't know, but if you're still in the room, let's honor him for championing, bringing Christians United for Israel here. He championed that cause. So it's kingdom business that we are after, which is why I brought the sound of the kingdom, the shofar, which does more for me, Pastor, than say shofar so good. Oh, it'll get better than that, I hope. It'll get better than that. I know one thing, for the next five hours, I'm going to be their shofar back to Nashville. Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> that was just horrible. You know, this is the sound that was heard when the law came down from Sinai. This is what was heard. This is the sound that was heard when the sad citizens of Jericho, when they lost all of that real estate they thought they were going to hang on to, but God had another thing in mind. This horn alerted. Not this one, but the sound. It's also the sound that's going to call us home into the next phase of this kingdom thing we are doing. The scriptures say it's going to be at the sound of a trump, and that is not Donald. He's a strong, powerful president, but he doesn't have that much pull. We deeply appreciate President Donald Trump. He's doing great and grand things for our country and Israel. We deeply appreciate the man. We were all wondering, like, how does this happen that the, you know, the celebrity apprentice becomes president of the United States? But I'm liking it. It works. It works. Nobody else would do what this man is doing, so we're thankful. So it is the sound of the kingdom, and with that, please rise to your feet as we sound the shofar. Because when you sound the shofar, you are alerting devils. You know, Satan's been listening to this thing for 3,000 years, and he hates it. Because it reminds him that the people of God are around. And if they're sounding the shofar, then they must be gathered for worship or war or both. So get ready to stick a sharp stick in the devil's ears. We're going to make heaven glad and the devil mad right now.
Hallelujah. 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 Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Milad Kol HaTorah BeYeshua HaMashiach From Hebrew to English. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe. And we thank you, King Jesus, for teaching us your righteousness through your word. This afternoon, Almighty God, may our hearts be duly sensitized to your kingdom purposes regarding Israel and the Jewish people. And may we leave this place, Lord God, changed. May we, God, be given boldness to stand for your kingdom in the midst of darkness. Show us how to light a light, God. We love you, O Holy God of heaven. And all God's children said, Amen. In the name of Jesus. You may be seated if you can. How many of you actually felt something? You actually felt something. There's a reason for that. There is a reason for that. You can see this is made in the shape of a spiral. Turns out God spirals everything he makes. Hurricanes, tornadoes. Interesting when you flush the toilet. It's like, so how did I get there? <laughs> Fingerprints are spiraled. Hair, well, mine used to spiral here. Pastor Ray, as far as I'm concerned, hair is overrated. You have nice hair, though. But Hold up your right hand for me, if you would. Now, make a fist. This is not permission to strike your neighbor. Don't do that. If you look at the thumb side of that fist, the thumb, you should see a spiral. And if you don't, that means you're missing some digits, and we will pray for you again after the service. But the reason why you see a spiral is because the human hand is made and designed with that ratio of 1.1618 and some decimals after that, 1 to 1.618. And that ratio is a pretty tight ratio. If you put it on graph paper, it would make a spiral. That's why God spirals everything. So a horn that's spiraled disturbs the sound waves in the air. You're picked up by your spiraled outer ear, which is then picked up by your spiraled middle ear or inner ear, and by the way, you were connected to your mother's umbilical cord by a, it too was spiraled, you're connected to your mom by a spiraled umbilical cord, and now the Genome Project tells us that the 10-strand DNA helix, it too is spiraled. So we were not only spiritually designed to respond to the sound, emotionally designed to respond to the sound, but physiologically designed to respond to this sound. That's why you felt something. Oh, God knows what he's doing. He most certainly does know what he's doing. Did you bring your Bible to church? Did you bring, hold up your Bible, please. Hold it up. See, I see more books than phones. That is good. Here's why. Here's why. Because uh, on a phone, uh, you could have looked at anything on that phone last night. But this Bible, when you bring it into the embassy, which is what this place is. This is the kingdom's embassy in Middletown. And this is his constitution of the kingdom. And in here, we know that the centerfold of this book is clean. So it honors God when you bring in his written word. Something to think about. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea, said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This thing called standing with Israel is a kingdom matter. And we can't treat it lightly. Because when Jesus comes back, when the Messiah shows up, he's not coming back to Middletown. As wonderful as this place is, we got some nice restaurants. I've gone to one. It's pretty cool. However, it doesn't matter because he's coming back to where he launched from, and that is Jerusalem, period. So we can't be casual about this. So we read here John the Baptist. Now, John was not a Baptist. He was Jewish. That means Mary was not Catholic. And sorry, Peter and Paul were not Pentecostal. Now, I love speaking in them their, their tongues, but all of these names that I mentioned were Hebrews. They were Hebrews. Keep that in mind. I've been with Christians United for Israel since 2014, and today we're going to talk about some things, and I've enjoyed working with Pastor Hagen. We're going to talk about Kufi a little bit, uh, fake news, because it does exist, and then you will hear from Irving Roth. And from 2014, we can go back to... 2006, and in 2006, Pastor Hagee was moved by God to create this organization for a reason. He created this organization for the purpose of making sure the church has a resonant tone in their heart for Israel. If you get close to God's heart, the closer you get to him, you're going to hear a cadence. And that cadence will be, Israel, Israel, Israel. Why? Because Israel is God's redemption plan for planet Earth. And Pastor John Hagee, leaning on the wall near the Temple Mount, the western wall, the Lord spoke to him and said, gather Christians and Jews to stand together for Israel and the Jewish people. That's all he heard. And now we've gone from 400 to 4.5 million. Please join. Praise be unto the King of Heaven. If you're a member of Christians United for Israel and you're getting our email, go ahead and raise your hand if you're, you're getting our email. All right, that means most of you in the room have an opportunity to join. You have an opportunity to be a part of this cutting-edge thing that God is doing on the planet. And we, we don't just wave flags. We don't just say Hebrew phrases or sing Hebrew songs. We are making a difference on the planet, and it's caught the attention of the prime minister of Israel himself. Here are his words regarding Kufi. I consider Kufi to be a vital part of Israel's national security. This man has the IDF. He has the Mossad. That's Mossad is the CIA, RC, equivalent to RCIA, but better. Because they are. I'm telling you, these guys are, they will find you. They will find you. And he says this about us because we are loud against anti-Semitism. When we see anti-Semitism, we cry out against it. And we're not just waving flags and singing songs. We're actually moving things in D.C. We're actually making sure that U.S. policy stands squarely with the kingdom of God. Squarely. Which is why he says what he says about us. Pastor Hagee and Prime Minister Netanyahu have a great relationship. They are deep, deep friends. Because we get things done like this, the Taylor Force Act. Taylor Force studied at West Point. 
did two tours of duty in the Middle East, Iraq and Afghanistan, came back to my city, Nashville, went to school at Vanderbilt, got involved in the student exchange program, winds up going to Israel as a part of that student exchange program, goes to dinner in Joppa where Peter had that vision, steps out of dinner and gets stabbed to death by a terrorist. The Palestinian Authority, headed up by Mahmoud Abbas. You've seen him in the UN, he's been on the news. He says one thing to the English world and says an entirely different thing to the Arab world. We welcome the blood of every Jew, he would say. The Palestinian Authority has budgeted 325 to 350 million dollars annually to pay terrorist families of individuals who kill Jews or Americans in Israel. So if you kill a Jew and you are arrested, your family's going to get this much for life, X for life. If you kill a Jew and you as a terrorist are killed in the moment, your family's going to get Y. We're actually going to pay them higher for life, $325 million budgeted for that kind of nonsense. So America, in our benevolence, we would give, as part of our foreign aid package to the Palestinian Authority, $300 million a year. When we found out that our money was intermingled with all of that foolishness in their budget, in their general budget, we said no. Kufai said no. We need a senator or a congressman to sponsor a bill. And Lindsey Lindsey Graham raised his hand like he's been doing lately. Lindsey Graham raises his hand and says, I'll sponsor that bill. Got a companion bill sponsored in the House. And as of March 23rd of this year, President Donald Trump said, I don't like this omnibus bill. Doesn't have all the appropriations I cared, I wanted to see in it. However, I'm going to sign it anyway. And inside that omnibus bill was that. The Taylor Force Act, our bill. Your tax dollars and mine no longer going to the Palestinian Authority at all. Kufai. Kufai did that. Kufai. So if you want to be a part of what God is doing on the planet, join this organization. We have forms outside for you to join. It doesn't cost anything to join. You need to be a part of where the Holy Spirit is moving with might and power. Be a part of that. So we don't just wave flags. We get things done. They're still paying out dollars to terrorists and their families but not with our money. They're still doing it. They're still doing it. This is a dishonest organization, the Palestinian Authority. Dishonest. Don't believe anything that comes out of their mouths because it's full of lies. Yes, their relationship is strong, and we're thankful uh, for that. Here's some other things that Kufai has been doing since 2016. Uh, The Iran nuclear deal, we're out. We were involved in asking the president, we loaded up his office with 135,000 email from Kufi, and he, they took notice. It doesn't make sense to give your enemy a weapon when they say they want to kill you. Why are we doing that? It's just stupid politics. The last administration, derelict and feckless. And I'm being nice. I'm being nice. I'm being nice. The ambassadorship of uh, David Friedman. We help with that confirmation. The same with Secretary of State Pompeo, who, by the way, about three, four weeks ago, praying during a cabinet meeting in the White House. Prayer in the White House. Glory to the King of Heaven. 
It's a new day, man. Devils are mad, and you saw the last three weeks how mad they can get. They'll throw everything at you, and they still lost. Nanner, nanner, nanner. Glory. I digress. <laughs> Taylor Force Act, you already saw that. And the moving of the embassy and the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Kufi was behind that. President Donald Trump met with our founder, John Hagee, for hours over the matter. And he heard December 6th, the recognition was made. Again, Donald Trump did not make Jerusalem the capital of Israel. That was already done 3,000 years ago. He just recognized the truth and said, hey, I'm going to line up with the Bible. Basically, that's what happened. That's what happened. It's huge, huge, huge. And we're thankful. We're thankful. Here's Pastor Hagee giving the benediction at the moving of the embassy. We're proud to be a part of that moment. When you saw John Hagee there, Kufi was there. If you're a member, he was there representing you. And we hope that you join. Take a look and listen. We gather here today to consecrate the ground upon which the United States Embassy will stand, reminding the dictators of the world that America and Israel are forever united. We thank you for our ambassador, David Friedman, and pray your anointing upon him as he opens the doors of the U.S. Embassy to receive the nations of the world. Let the word go forth from Jerusalem today that Israel lives. Shout it from the housetops that Israel lives. Let every Islamic terrorist hear this message, Israel lives. Let it be heard in the halls of the United Nations, Israel lives. Let it echo down the marble halls of the presidential palace in Iran, Israel lives. Let it be known to all men that Israel lives because he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. As King David prayed 3,000 years ago, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and all its inhabitants. Let the name of the Lord be glorified today for the defender of Israel today, tomorrow, and forever is here. Can we all shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. United States of America leading. You cannot lead from behind. That is following. If anyone would say that to you, they are again feckless. And we heard the last administration say we're leading from behind. Well, last I checked, that's following. When we led by moving the embassy, not moving other nations to do so, Guatemala moved their embassy. And scores of others are making plans to move their embassies to Jerusalem, America, leading. Kufi on the, on the tip of the, the cutting edge of that. The tip of the spear, we're there. Glad, glad to be a part of that. Glad to be a part of that. All right, let's turn the page and talk about a little bit of fake news. You know it exists, right? So here's this cartoon caption showing us something here. Bombs being lobbed to the enemy from Israel. From Israel. But they say, remember, it's not news until Israel fights back. Now, what about the provocation? That's tantamount to if, if someone were throwing rocks into your house for two, three months at a time, just throwing rocks in, rocks in, and you decide to build a fence to stop the rocks from coming in, and all of a sudden the local news just shows up with cameras in your face, why are you putting up a fence? You know that's segregationalist. You know that's separatist. You shouldn't be putting up a fence. You're not nice. Well, hey, 
What about the guy who's throwing rocks in my house for three months? Well, we don't want to even talk to him. We want to talk to you and your pets. That's what's happening. This is exactly what's happening to Israel. It's absolutely derelict. It's wrong. And we, the church, we're the ones who need to stand in the gap and say the truth. These water cooler conversations. That's why when you come to church and you hear things like this, you now are equipped to go out and say, no, that's not the way it goes. Why don't you talk to Israel about why they're attacking? Why they're trying to protect themselves. That's what they're trying to do. We need to leave them alone to allow them to do that. So May 14th was the dedication or the benediction that Pastor Hagee gave. This was the headline the day after. This is May 15th. New York Slimes. I'm sorry. I didn't say that. New York Times. New York Times. <laughs> Ooh, that one got away. Um, Israelis kill scores in Gaza. That's a true statement. That is a true statement. But it's out of context. You're supposed to say the truth, the whole truth. You already know. You're supposed to say context. That's what that phrase means. Whole truth means context. What do I mean by that? Let's say we're in a courtroom right now. And uh, you're the jury, you're listening, and the prosecuting attorney gets up and says, Your Honor, these three people right here, they are guilty of a heinous crime. The man died. That man over there in the far left, he knocked the, the, the victim out, just knocked him out cold. And then the other person, she dragged him around, just dragged him around. And that other guy, he picked up a sharp tool and just cut him and his heart came out. And the defense, the defense attorney gets up and says, Your Honor, may I speak? Well, well, sure, sure, sure. Well, sir, these three people work at a teaching institution at a university hospital up the street. Uh, that person on the far left, uh, that's the anesthesiologist, knocked them out. Uh, that person, the lady right there, she dragged him from the gurney onto the hop- operating table. And the last individual, that was a heart surgeon doing a heart transplant surgery, and the surgery failed. Does that help you, Your Honor? Absolutely, jury. Yes. Context. Context matters. You just can't throw facts out without context because you can lie doing that. And that's what the New York Times is trying to say. What about the provocation? Why are they doing what they're doing, killing scores? And the score, now there were 30,000 people at that border. If they only kill scores, like scores, let's say three score, that's 60, which is exactly the number. If you have 30,000 people at the border and you're indiscriminately firing into that crowd, You need to go back to the range if you only get 60 people. Why did they get 60? Because they went behind enemy lines, disguised, and identified all the Hamas leading operatives and went, boop, he's one. Came over here, boop, here's another one. Boop, get him. And Hamas actually admitted it. They killed 60 of our men. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That to me shows how precise Israel is and what care they take to not kill the innocent. That's Israel, and that's who we need to stand behind. Yes, Lord, let's give him glory for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we know the media can be fake, and God is ultimately in control, and he used a radio station, and they are not the... uh, the last bastion of conservatism in our land, uh, NPR. Anybody familiar with NPR? We would not consider them a, a conservative news outlet, but God used them to expose something. Take a look at this 
and listen to this interview. NPR at the Gazan border interviewing these foul perpetrators of these nasty deeds. With casualties. Now, for all the suffering, some Palestinians have still been moving toward the border fence today. We're at one of the main protest sites. We've seen people moving in that direction. We've heard scattered gunshots, we presume, from Israeli forces. And we've also encountered Ahmed al-Bordani, who is 19 years old, and when we saw him, was holding a homemade white kite. Would you describe what that is? This is a kite that's going to go to the Jews. He said it's designed to float over the Israelis and catch fire. It was decorated with writing claiming Jerusalem for Palestinians and also with swastikas. What does this thing mean to you? Why do you put that on there? The Jews go crazy for Hitler when they see it. The Israelis know that people are flying kites with swastikas. They know this. And they use it to discredit you, to say this shows you're bad people. What do you think about that? This is actually what we want them to know, he says that we want to burn them. That is one of many views we've heard in the last few days in Gaza where at least 60 people were killed yesterday in protests. The person we heard helped. We want to burn them. Does that sound familiar? This is exactly what Hitler did. The word Holocaust is Greek for burnt offering. Same spirits here, friends. Same spirit. I love Irving Roth, but it's sad that twice in his lifetime he has to hear this kind of foolish language again. Burn them? That's Satan. That's Satan. Before Hitler could do his nasty deed of the Holocaust, he had to get something done. That what you're looking at there is the installation of the Deutsche Evangelische Kirche. July 23, 1933, Hitler had installed the German Evangelical Church. Why? Because he became chancellor in 33. And before he could get to the Holocaust, he had to silence the church. He had to install his people in the church in Germany to spread propaganda and to make sure that people understand Jews are like bugs. Exterminate them. You see, you cannot get to a Holocaust until you silence us. And he accomplished that. That's why Kufi exists. We exist to be the polar opposite to what he installed. We're not going to be silent. Not on our watch. Not this time. We're going to stand with the Jews. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what God says when the church stays silent in the face of evil and we want to sing and praise the Lord, but we're going to be silent when it comes to evil. He says, take away the noise of your songs. I don't want to hear you singing when you got evil outside your door. You know why this representative is so strong against the shedding of innocent blood? It's because she worships hard and then she goes out and works hard. That's what we need to do. 
That's what we all need to do. All enemies of Israel, beware. Just like Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Ottoman Empire, even the British Empire. And of course, Germany suffered. Why do they need to beware? Because they're fighting Israel. And anybody who fights Israel doesn't last long at all. What you're about to see, the first words in the Bible where the name Satan shows up. What's he doing? And against whom is he doing it? And how is he getting it done? First words. First Chronicles 21.1. And Satan. Read this with me, please. And stood Israel and provoked to number the people. Look at that. Satan fighting Israel using King David. This is how Satan gets his work done to this day against Israel, using heads of state. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. So he's got to be judicious as to how he gets his work done. And if he's going to fight Israel, he's got to use heads of state to do it. This should make you look at the U.N. in an entirely different manner now. Because that's who's behind it. And this should make you think about who was Behind the words of our last administration, we were fighting devils, and this verse proves it. But our God is zealous with great zeal for Zion. He loves Israel because Israel represents God's redemption for planet Earth. Powerful. Which brings me to our next speaker, Irving Roth. It's 1939. And rather than read a biography, I'm going to give you a biographical slice from his book, Bondi's Brother. I highly recommend it. It will give you clear insight into what it was like to live in those times when demagogues are chasing down your life. From Bondi's Brother, Chapter 6. The Wehrmacht, the German army, was everywhere. It was the day before my 10th birthday, September 1st, 1939. They poured into Khomeini on their way to Poland. Day after day they came. Trucks filled with soldiers, artillery cannons, panzer tanks, motorcycles, even soldiers on bicycles. The procession continued day and night. I spent hours watching the movement from my bedroom window. It was a spectacle. The truck lights, the rumble of the tanks had a hypnotic effect, and I was drawn outside to get a closer look. I found a good spot to be a spectator, not far from my house on Hilenka Street. A soldier was walking out of Gleb's grocery store, eating an apple. I followed every move he'd made. He was wearing a gray uniform with a thick black leather belt around his waist and high, shiny black boots. From his belt hung a gun in a holster. He was a young, tall man, clean cut in his uniform. His skin was smooth, his cheeks were red. He had a nice smile. And I was about to go over and ask him his name when a Jew with a white beard caught the soldier's eye. Hey, old Jew! <laughs> what are you doing on the sidewalk? He barked. I was surprised by the way he spoke. I held my breath. The man stood and didn't look directly at the soldier. I'm walking, he said quietly. Just walking. 
Jew, I can't hear you. <laughs> Your beard is getting in the way. Come closer so I can hear you, Jew. When the man moved closer, without warning, the soldier kicked him in the leg with his boot. The man fell to the ground. Then the soldier asked, now what are you doing, Jew? <laughs> the man buried his face in his hands. The soldier continued to smile and stepped over the man and crossed the street. I wanted to go over and kick that soldier myself. These were guests in our town. Where were the police to arrest this criminal? I was shaking. I ran to help the man up. And the soldier, well, he just joined the other soldiers and disappeared into a stream of uniforms. The man got to his feet. I brushed off his black coat and rubbed his leg. He thanked me for helping him and asked me my name. It was the name of the then boy, now man, is Irving Roth. And Irving Roth is a fascinating man, and Irving Roth was marked with some digits. He still has them tattooed to this day. A104. Hitler marked him for destruction because to Hitler and those who followed him, Jews were nothing more than things to be exterminated. And the, Jew and the Germans were very meticulous in their record keeping. But when it came to Irving Roth, he got marked for death. But today, because of the providence of God, he is marked to give us life and hope and teach us how to get through difficulty when faced with death. If you think you had a hard day yesterday or any time last week, think about Irving Roth. He's sitting here right now. And now he's about to come to this platform. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Irving Roth. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. <clears throat> In a few days, the eight decades since Germany decided to tell the world it is time to destroy Israel. It was the night of November 9th, 1938. One thousand synagogues in Germany were set on fire. 30,000 Jews arrested. Jewish stores met, destroyed, and looted. Hundreds of Jews murdered. An announcement to the world, I will do what no one did until now. I will eliminate the Jews from this earth. Thank God he did it. I remember that morning, I remember the radio. Will this happen to all of Europe? My friends, it almost did. 
they exported their hatred to every country. By 1939, this country called Czechoslovakia, which was a democracy, no longer existed. The western part, which is now the Czech Republic, became part of Germany. The eastern part became part of Hungary. Where I lived was an independent country. Germany realized that the people of Slovakia are ready to take on Nazism to the fullest. They voted a Nazi party into power. So here I am living in this country. I love the country because Czechoslovakia was a democracy. I lived in a small city of 7,000 people, about 2,000 Jews, Catholics, Protestants, Russian Orthodox. I'm sure there were some atheists. In peace and harmony with my environment, with my neighbors. We visited our neighbors who were Christian. We had drinks with them. I went to school, to a public school. Catholics and Protestants and even gypsies. Businesses were often Jewish and non-Jewish at the same time. But my friends in 1939, all that came to an end. It was summer of 1939, <clears throat> and as a 10-year-old, what do you do? You go to the park and meet your friends, go to the beach, you go swimming, play volleyball, Basketball, ping, 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 pong. But on that day, my friends, I could not enter. Big sign, Jews and dogs forbidden to enter. That's my introduction to anti-Semitism. Very soon, I had to be identified as a Jew with a yellow star. By September of 19. I was thrown out of school because I'm a Jew. Every Jewish student, whether in nursery school or PhD candidate, Jewish out. Every Jewish teacher at the university or in public school or any other school, fired. And then finally comes the time when the economy of the Jewish people is being destroyed. How? Jews could no longer own a business. My father had a business, a lumber business. How will he live? And so my father decides that the only thing possible thing to do is maybe one of our good Christian friends will help us out. How? By changing the name of the business from Roth to something else, more Christian sounding. And one of my father's very good friends, a fellow by the name of Meleznik. Very good friend. A nice, wonderful Roman Catholic man who went to church, who believed in God. And so my father approached him and he being a nice guy says to my father, whatever is necessary to save your business, I will do. All I want, said my father, is your name. We can change the name of the business. And they do that. He's a rescuer. And that is for a couple, three months. One day he walks into my father's office and says, Joe, we're partners, so I think I'm entitled to have the profits. 
another few weeks go by and tells my father that he thinks my father does a great job running his business. He's not going to fire my father. He can remain as a manager. The business is his. Transformation of people. Not just the government. People change. I had a girlfriend who was Russian Orthodox. And I used to help her with physics and math. And one day, I'm walking home with her, carrying her books. And I said, you coming over to do some homework? She says, no. You want me to come over to your house? No, she said. I said, what do you mean by no? She said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're a Jew. You're evil. You are responsible for every single problem in the world. So, my friends, persecution of Jews. Every place that the Nazi armies come to persecution of Jews, whether it's Czechoslovakia or, just, or Poland or France or Belgium, it didn't matter. As soon as the Nazis come in, the Jews are being persecuted up to the point where they invade the Soviet Union in June of 1941. There they don't do that. There they exceed that. The German army is taking over part of the Soviet Union with everything, 80 miles of Moscow. What they're doing is simply gathering the Jews as the army goes in, behind them as special units, special forces, gather the Jews in towns and villages and murder them. The city of Kiev, in two days, my friends, 33,000 Jews were murdered. But the rate of murder was insufficient. And so, my friends, they convened a conference at which the brain trust of Germany's city, chemists, physicists, doctors, lawyers, military personnel, Single item on the agenda. How are we going to get rid of all the Jews? Quickly and cheaply, because this business of killing them the way we're doing in the Soviet Union is too slow and too expensive. It takes too much time. After all, all we did is manage to murder a half a million Jews in six months. Totally inefficient. And so, my friends, the brain trust, not hoodlums, the brain trust of Germany in 90 minutes comes together and solves the problem. He'll build death camps, bring all the Jews from Europe to these death camps, use gas chambers to murder them, and we'll burn their bodies, and all that's going to be left of the Jews of Europe is ashes. So, my friends, in my town in Slovakia, summer of 1942, on a Friday night, Every Jew, Jewish home, gets a knock on the door. Given 10 minutes to pack a bag, and they're marched into the synagogue. 1,800 to 2,000 Jews are now massed in one small synagogue. There's no room to sit. There are no bathrooms there. No running water. No air conditioning in the middle of the summer. Day and a half later, they're marched to the train station into cattle cars, and they're gone. 
because my father was still running Albert's business, he still needed him temporarily. A few months go by, my grandfather and grandmother are arrested. We managed to actually get him out. But we know we must disappear. And so, my friends, in early 1943, the Roth family disappears. We are torn. There was no place to go. There's only one country which we managed to go to called Hungary. Hungary was not ready to get rid of its Jews yet. They were going to wait at the end of the war. When Hungary and Germany wins the war, then they'll deal with the Jews. And so it was safe haven for the moment. But unfortunately, that too came to an end. Spring of 1944. By this time, the German army is not winning anymore. They're losing. The American airplanes are there every day bombing Germany. The Russian army is already pushing back. The American army has taken over all of Italy. But there's still 437,000 Jews alive. And so, my friends, in 53 days, those 437,000 Jews are picked up from their home in Hungary into cattle cars to Auschwitz, the largest death camp ever created by man. I'm in one of those trains with my grandfather and grandmother. My parents are in Budapest. I don't know what's happening to them. After three days, the train stops. They open up the doors. Where am I? We're told to get out and take nothing with you. Suddenly, 3,700 out of the 4,000 people are marching in one direction. I give a look. There are chimneys with flames. They're told they're going to take a shower by my friends. It is the gas chamber and crematorium, four of them. Auschwitz was capable to process up to 12,000 human beings and convert them to ashes. That night, I had no more grandfather, no more grandmother, no aunt, no cousin. My brother and I survived. I was shipped off to work. I was given tattooed a tattoo, number on my arm to tell me very clearly, I am not a person. I am a number. I am just like a cattle that is branded. I am the property of the German government to do as they please. Fortunately, they assigned me to work, hard work from early morning to late at night, at age 14. But I'm trying to survive day after day, working hard on a very limited diet. Russian army is getting closer. By January of 1945, the Soviet army was 50 miles from Auschwitz hoping and praying they're going to get there soon. And they'll liberate us, feed us. Unfortunately, on the 18th of January, out of the 1.2 million people that were brought to Auschwitz, 60,000 are still alive. And they marched out on that march. We march, we die. I finally arrive in another camp called Buchenwald with my brother. The things are even more difficult. There's much less food. One day my brother is taken away. I'm alone. 
15 years old. I'm weighing 80 pounds. The war's coming to an end. I'm trying to hold on. Day after day, the American army is getting closer. And one day, they started death marches again. I managed to hide one day. So by the 10th day, I'm hiding under a building in a crawl space. What guard would go on? Unfortunately, that one day, one of the guards comes with the dog and gets me out of there, marches me up to the gate, and I'm standing in front of the gate of Bokhamalt, weighing 80 pounds, knowing full well, more than a day, I won't be the last. But my friends, at that moment, a miracle from heaven, literally, American airplanes are overhead. I'm standing in front of the gate with 10,000 other Jews, knowing that I'm not going to survive. Airplanes overhead, they're bombing the cities around Buchenwald all day, and I survived another day. But next morning, it's quiet. The guards disappear. And 3 o'clock in the afternoon on April 11, 1945, two American soldiers walk into the Messiah, the Messiah just arrived. All they wanted to do is feed us. And about an hour goes by after the first two soldiers, down comes a jeep with three vats of the most marvelous food in the world, split peas and pork. We picked out, bad idea. Fortunately, the next day, American doctors come in and say, you can't do that. You're going to kill them with this stuff. So they began to take care of us. And I'll tell you the story. Uh, they took all the kids, there were 300 of us, uh, ages of 15 or so. And so they say, you know, first things first, kids have to be taken care of. They march us out and past the warehouse. They give us new clothing, German army uniforms. And then they take us to a beautiful building. It, to me, it was the plaza. Well, they had rooms, and they had beds, and linens. Four kids to each room. Get fed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And not only that, at lunchtime, quite often, we'd get a bottle of chocolate. But there's one day, something special. Each one of us got a carton of camel cigarettes. <laughs> now, mind you, four boys, 15 years old, in a room with no supervision. So I decided the only thing to do is to figure out what this wonderful stuff called cigarettes are all about. So I smoked a cigarette, first time in my life. Not bad. I smoked a second cigarette. Before I got the third cigarette, I didn't feel so good. My lips are burning, my tongue tastes bitter, and I'm a little dizzy and not so good. <laughs> Never smoked another cigarette in my life. <laughs> Actually, I traded my cigarettes for chocolate. <laughs> Therefore, I'm a chocoholic. <laughs> I gain weight, the war is over, what do I do? I'm 15 years old, I'm in the middle of Germany. 
I decided to go back to the town I was taken. Long track, you can read about it in my book. I finally get to the station, walk about a mile to the village itself. First person I see, I ask him, I say, anybody from the Roth family survived? He says, yeah. I say, where? I run over, I open up the door, and there is my mother. My mother and father both survived. Let me give you a quick overview because it's important to understand. As the Jews were being not only harassed but shipped out, before the Jews of Budapest are shipped out, one morning my father doesn't get out of bed. Then my mother goes over to him, shakes him, he says, Joe, time to get up, gotta go to work. Nothing. He's in a coma. They take him to the hospital, the doctor examined my father and told my mother he has typhus, he's in the last stages of typhus, he's going to die. He's a knight, he said, a Christian woman. He looks at my mother, who is 40 years old, by the way, at this point, she looks about 90, he wants to give her some hope. She tells my mother, I've been a nurse a long time. It's possible for a person in this condition to survive. And I'll do everything I can. And this angel ministers to my mother, to my father, every single night. She's a night nurse. Day after, night after night after night, and, and he's in a coma. And then one night, as she's doing all this, suddenly she hears a sound. How long have I been asleep, says my father. Miracle. But now he gets fine. Now he's being discharged from the hospital. They need a place to hide. Because the Nazis of Germany to get, are searching for Jews, putting them into trains. And if they don't have trains, they shoot them at the side of the river Danube and dump them into the river. This wonderful lady lives in a one-bedroom apartment with her daughter, who is married, has a child, and a husband who is not at home. He's in the Hungarian Nazi army. In the one-bedroom apartment, she says to my parents, get there, make sure no one sees you. As you're entering the apartment, we'll fix up a hiding place inside. Hopefully, when the police come, they won't find you. This angel. My parents get there and the police come and look and they don't find them. One night there's a knock on the door into the hiding place they go. But it's not the police. It's the husband. The Hungarian Nazi soldier comes home for three days. The wife explains to the husband about these very distant relatives. You never met them. They were not invited to the wedding. explains to her husband about these very distant relatives and you mustn't tell anybody because if anybody finds out, they'll tell the police. They'll be shot. And you want to go to bed with me tonight, keep your big mouth shut. And so my parents survived because someone was willing to help. Someone was willing to help. Now mind you, all of Europe is Nazi. And there are people who say this is evil. 
Not only won't I participate in this thing, I'm going to fight this. You can see their name. There are 24,000 of them in Jerusalem. There are trees for each one of the people or families that helped survive, Jews survive with their name on it. The righteous of the world, my friends. It was possible to help. But you had to have the stamina and the belief that what's going on is evil and I must do something. Not somebody ought to do something. I must do something. <clears throat> My friends, today, 70 years later, the Jewish people are still being hounded. Anti-Semitism is growing. As Lyndon points out, this is the second time in my life. Every place in the world, even in these United States, in spite of everything we're doing, in spite of it, there are professors who are teaching and propagating anti-Semitism. In the college system. My friends, we need the righteous of the world today. As Lyndon points out, the lies. The lies in so many places. In government officials throughout the world. The man who would like to be Prime Minister of England, Corbyn, wants the destruction of Israel. So today, my friends, like 70, 80 years ago, the Jewish people need the righteous of the world. That's what Kufa is. The righteous of the, the people who stand up and say, not on our watch. People have said, no. Evil must not be perpetrated by anyone, anytime. As Pastor Hagee, Israel lives but it needs your help. It needs your voice loud and clear. And so from the bottom of my heart, hey, I thank you for being here and listening to me. But most importantly, please join Kufai. Because together, righteousness shall prevail. And Israel will continue to live. Thank you very much. so many levels, right? Wow. What a wonderful day this has been. Different kind of day, but a good day. Can we get an amen out of this crowd? What a wonderful testimony. What wonderful speaking we've heard. What it does in my heart, I'm sure it does in yours. It awakens us to the fight of good God against evil. So we have the mandate not only to assist and help in the ways that we can for the state of Israel. You know, trust that you'll go by the table and meet this lovely couple and
and our representatives that are here from Kufi, please do that. Please consider and prayerfully consider joining them. But, you know, I couldn't help as a pastor to think about the correlation of the Nazi hatred and violence and evil in the world trying to destroy the good, the right, and the God. And how that correlates to the fight that we have against Satan and his army because technically it all comes from the same whole. So it's right for us as the righteous to stand and to fight for all that's right. And as we do that, I believe God will enable us and help us as a church, not only in our community, but around the world. And when we help and we do good for Israel, when we stand with them, and when we stand as well for Jesus Christ in Middletown, we stand for the right with the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ has given to the earth. And we know that we are standing blessed. Amen? I want to have a word of prayer, and I want to remind us that we need to do something. I thought about those 24,000 trees, and I said, Lord, make Stratford Heights a tree, a planting of the Lord, which shall not be moved. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come before you this morning, we are moved, we are touched, we're transformed, and we are mobilized. Lord, we will stand, and we will fight, and we will win, for greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We honor you today. We thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. We honor you. Lord, that you equip and enable us through the armor of God to stand against the wiles of the enemy. And we will do that as you empower us and as you strengthen us as a church and as part of the body of Christ to be the righteous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you this evening, 6 o'clock. Some Pastor Ray will be preaching, so come and be with us tonight at 6.